Welcome back, listeners. My name is Gina, and I'm here with my husband, co-host, editor, and producer, Matt. Hello. We are just two teachers on our journey of teaching as we navigate this uncertain world. Last week, we talked about virtual learning and the positives and negatives that surrounds it. With this episode, we will be exploring going back to school in person during a pandemic. We will look at what other schools have done so far and kind of brainstorm the future of education and a great action plan. You know, the more I listen to that piano theme, the more I like it. Good. I'm glad because it's fire. (laughs) It's amazing. So we're here to talk about um, going back to school in person during a pandemic. And throughout this podcast, we're going to hear some buzzwords such as in-person learning versus online learning, which is also sometimes called remote learning and virtual learning versus hybrid learning. So it's important to know what these uh, these words actually mean, these terms. So Matt, can you explain it to us? So in-person learning is centered on being in-person. <laughs> online learning is for online. And hybrid is a combination of both of them. Uh, it really is kind of more of a political strategy at this point for what the states are trying to accomplish as far as treatment of the virus. Um, And so when we're talking about those different types of things, if a school is going pure online, usually that's because they either have one, a very high caseload, or two, they're following some higher up instructions. So schools are very rarely actually getting a say in this, and teachers are not really getting a say either in person, online, whatever structures they're going with aren't really happening for us, so to speak. It's true. It's true. So now that we know these differences, uh, let's talk about the process of going back, what it looks like, what it's currently looking like, and um, the possible action plans that can come of it from the schools that have already started going back in person. So uh, before we begin again, I want to ask Matt, uh, do you have any fears as a teacher in regards to going back in person? I have to say I don't, I'm not really afraid of anything going back. Um, I guess my only real fear, if it could be called that, is more of a worry that there wouldn't be any plan in place Mm. to keep anyone safe at all, as in they would just announce tomorrow we're all going back and we would be in classrooms with absolutely no safety precautions in place at all. That would be my concern. Um, I think that's the only real worry that I have, as long as there's some level of safety in place. I see that, you know, I will either, I'll be protected up to a certain point. There won't really be any concerns at my juncture. But going back completely blind, acting like there doesn't need to be a safety plan is my main concern. That's my fear. I'd have to say that my fear is, you know, it's the same. There's no safety plan. But an added, uh, I'm very afraid that uh, if we go back and there's not a safety plan in place or the safety plan falls through, that I would get it and give it to like our parents or someone who would you know actually you know get very very sick or worse and that's kind of my biggest fear uh with the idea of going well and that's always the concern with the spread of it i mean there's no way to know how COVID is going to affect everyone and there's no way to know whether or not you're going to be carrying it to somebody else i mean that's part of the that's part of the action plan where if we have no way like 
I know we're going to talk about it later in this podcast, but we have no way of addressing certain issues with students and teachers interacting and getting COVID. There's certain concerns with it as far as keeping the public safe. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a huge concern. I mean, any time this happens. So what are your ex- uh, expectations going back as a teacher? So what are your safety <clears throat> expectations? So you're what, saying, what do you, so what you're do saying you we go back tomorrow, what do I think needs to happen? Yeah. It would be... Okay, well, there's a couple of different things. First of all, I mean, it's pretty clear that there would need to be cleaning and safety procedures regularly. Mm -hmm. I would say if they can't stack the number of employees who are cleaning classrooms and who are keeping the campus clean, uh, it's not worth going back at all. Um, That would be one of my main concerns. The other concerns would be, you know, student safety procedures on and off campus. So there, in my mind, and I know there's no way this would happen. Because it, 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 it goes against so much everything as far as America is concerned. But there would need to be plans in place to say to students, look, you have to limit exposure in other locations besides school. Mm. And there's no way that That's would be a, a norm. That's impossible. Yeah, there would no, there'd be <laughs> no way that was a norm. But because <laughs> if you tell that to adults and you say, look, you can come in to work here, but you have to limit exposure elsewhere... I mean, I think that's a valid that's a valid critique, and I know that some people have heard that from their employers. Mm. But you can't say that to children, and you can't say that to families that are enrolled in schools because it's everyone. Well, that, and you have the kids, you know, who are going into families, and the families are the parents are going to work, and it's you know that that's leaving themselves open to other people, and it's just. I also realize that I'm talking from. I mean, these are my concerns. I'm talking from the state with the worst cases in America. (laughs) I mean, like, I also recognize that there are states out there right now who are working on great going back to school plans and trying to move that forward in ways that we can't right now because our caseloads are so extreme. Well, that's a great segue into the looking into some of the plans that schools have already implemented. Uh, There are several types of plans, but the, the main ones are fully going back in person then there's hybrid where so they have half in person half online and and then there's the states that are doing phases where they'll phase in different parts of a safety plan for going back in person and then there's the schools that are fully online now to clarify part of hybrid could also be limiting the number of students on campus right Uh, so going back partial like at any point in time, you only have 10 students in a classroom is also considered hybrid, not in person. Well, right? no, that's more of a, well, well, we'll go into that, but that is more like a, that can be part of a hybrid plan where they like will scatter the kids throughout the week. Um, I know some phase plans start with less uh, students in the classroom as well. So we're going to actually dive into that. So starting with um, an in-person plan. So our goal here is to kind of look at the failures and successes of these plans and then kind of brainstorm our own action plan based on what the states around us have been doing. So we're going to start with the very obvious choice of Atlanta, Georgia, because they made the news all last month with their in-person plan. So uh, quote unquote plan. (laughs) Yeah, that's that is uh, (laughs) so true. So uh, as of August 17th, 2000, almost 2,000 students and staffers in Cherokee County School District in Atlanta, Georgia, tested positive of COVID. Uh, they had opened August 3rd, so that was about a two within the two weeks of school. 
2000, almost 2000 students and staffers got tested positive. Um, it was not a requirement in their district, which has six high schools. And we're going to focus on the high schools, um, for, for this case, particularly, uh, it wasn't a requirement for the high schoolers to be wearing masks. They've said that they couldn't implement them. They couldn't make kids, uh, keep them on. And so we saw pictures of the, the hallways of kids not wearing masks. And we saw the repercussions of, of one of their students getting suspended and then unsuspended. Um, and so we saw that it, it looked like when I was looking at their website, that their, their plan was like very loosey goosey, like stay, uh, away. Yeah. Stay away from each other if possible, wear a mask if you can. But it, it was very, the implementation of the rules that they set were not there. And it's very obvious because of the almost 2000 people in their uh, district that got it. So the result of this was they had to close half of their high schools. So three of their six high schools uh, had to go fully remotely. Um, so they, they did some kind of in-person or, or, uh, or online and maybe a hybrid type of program. Uh, all the schools are looking like they're doing something different. So obviously I'm looking at their website trying to figure it out. So, that, you know, um, and so they, they did eventually have to go remotely for three of their six high schools. Um, but they had the intent to go back August 31st, but I'm looking at their high school after that point, And it looks like that they did not fully go back, but their football team is, uh, still kicking butt. Go warriors. Okay. I think that, I mean, we're talking about fears, you know, what are my concerns? And my concern was basically no plan mm-hmm. um, in jumping in. And I was worried that L.A. was going to do this similar thing where we were going to jump straight back in with no kind of plan. And we opted to go online. Um, it didn't necessarily help L.A.'s caseload, though. I mean, if you really look at it. So this really did affect the people that got it. But everybody ended up kind of testing positive for COVID anyway in California. So it's hard to say one way or another, but we can for sure say that going back in person with no plan would probably not be the way to go in this point. Yeah, Atlanta, Georgia is a great um, example of how you must implement whatever strategies that you are going to actually uh, say. So, and that's big. Follow through is big in teaching. If you're going to say, don't do that, or I'm going to do XYZ, and you don't do XYZ after the kid does it, then you know, that kid has not followed the plan because you, because you didn't implement it. You didn't implement the consequences. And so a district that said, Hey, you, you know, make sure you wear masks, but we're not going to tell you that you have to and make sure you stay away, but we're not going to actually implement any type well, of safety procedures. This, That's not the way you want to do it. This 77% that chose to go back in person anyway, mm-hmm. despite risks and despite all these cases is also kind of telling because I believe if we were looking at L.A., the survey numbers that came out when we were looking to go back were almost identical, right? We were like at 80% of parents wanting to go back in person. And that was something that like, it's really interesting to see here that, you know, that that number of families is still choosing that they want in-person education. So I think that the strategy has to be to come up with a plan where you can actually go back in person safely rather than blindly going back and following you know, whatever it is that you want to do. So that way you're forcing schools to be in person. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that was, that was clearly not the right way to go. Not even because of the COVID cases, because now they're not open. Mm 
which is exactly what we were talking about last podcast, where you're upping the workload of every single staff member in your school to convert in-person plans over to online plans, well, which we already parents, talked about. And the, stu- the students now have to relearn or learn some online program, and the parents have to figure out their whole life. Exactly. So, so you're, re- you're, re- you're sticking the, the, your plan back into chaos. Despite having really good intentions and despite trying – you have to have a you have to have a plan. You have to have something yeah. that you're doing. If the district's gonna make a plan, they need a you know a safety plan. But and it's not just the teachers. And I want to emphasize that the teachers aren't just the ones who have to like make a whole new lesson to convert online, learn new programs and everything. But so do the students. And now the parents have to figure out how they're gonna have their childcare within days. So it's just it really kind of not kind of it really affects every single person if you're just if you're not going to have a plan in place with the you know well and i can say good we procedures have, to keep it we have full-time employees in place right now to go digital mm-hmm. and make sure everybody has access to online and those people are working round the clock to make it happen when it was already planned so to try to convert midway through the year to online without that being in place, without the resources, the technology, the employees to make it happen, ends up, you know, ends up shooting you in the foot. Yeah, just talking at school locations, I mean, the staff who are, are they're the ones who have to go in and call the parents, and it's just a lot of work. Um, so they had to go back remotely. So let's look at um, Iowa's hybrid plan, okay? Because Iowa... Iowa- Okay. Yeah, Iowa is like one of the only states who decided to implement a statewide hybrid plan. So they didn't say go back in person or choose or go back remotely. They were like hybrid plan. Um, schools are able to in Iowa like do waivers as to if they want to do fully remote. But for the Iowa said make a hybrid plan. So um, I was looking at the different types of plans that Iowa had. And so here's some of the things I learned. If a positive case were to come up during their, oh, well, let me actually talk about what a hybrid plan might look like before I dive into this. So they were doing things like A schedule, B schedule. So um, So half the school would go in like on the A days and then the other half of the school would go in on the B days. Which is, I mean, we were talking, that was a plan that actually got proposed where we live in Santa Clarita. And that was going to be like, the go-to for Santa Clarita schools was going to be the hybrid plan. And students could choose which days they were going on campus. And it looked like on-campus education was going to be for intervention purposes. Um, And that ended up getting turned to the side because California then went with a fully online remote plan. So, I mean, we definitely saw how that could have affected everyone. But I think Iowa kind of did something different, right? Uh, Yeah, so that, well... You, you decide if it was different or not. So they had the alter, alternating schedules, A days, B days. So if you were on campus on A days, then the B schedule days had to do online work, and then they would basically switch. So they're basically cutting the campus in half to slow the spread or uh, you know prevent any type of too much contact with between the kids. Uh, if a positive case uh, on in uh, case showed up, Anyone who meets the criteria of being within that six feet of that student who got the the case or the staff staffer who got uh, the positive case is to be quarantined for 14 days. So the per but when we're diving deeper into that, 
we have like a HIPAA violation. So we have that idea that no one has to identify that kid or that staffer who got it. So to say Mm, the people within the six feet of that person needs to go into quarantine was uh, hard for them to follow. So, okay. So they had really rigorous plans in place to keep cases quarantined, but that backfired on them because it's a HIPAA violation to reveal any kind of test results or any information about minors as a school, correct? That and yes, that and the fact that how are you going to follow a kid around all day to figure out where they're going and who's going to sit there and go, yeah, I was within six feet, you know. Well, in theory, if they were in a classroom situation at any point in time, everyone in that classroom would have to be quarantined, correct? Well, that's what they said, but it was looking like at one point going deeper into the research that it was more so like we recommend or we encourage. And the the only person that they were forcing to not come in to campus was the person who tested positive. They said, no, you may not step in. And everyone else, they say, if you were within six feet, please quarantine for 14 days. But they couldn't name the student because it's a HIPAA violation. So there was no way to know. Mm -hmm. It's correct. Okay. So so when they were talking about online fully learning, no kind of plan was really brought up. So they maintained their hybrid plan. Uh, In order to keep safety regulations, they did say like six feet apart. Uh, masks and face shields uh, and, and or face shields are mandatory when social distancing is impossible. So they said if you were sitting by yourself and there was no one within six feet, you are allowed to take off a mask. So lunch room, let's say you're eating lunch, you can do that. But as soon as someone's within that six feet, you're supposed to put a mask on. So they are allowing people to take off their masks. Or when their we talk shields. about that, one of the main issues with with schools and with high schools that a lot of people are arguing for is the social interaction that has to happen. This plan definitely supports that. It definitely supports the idea that students still get to interact with each other and still get to have relationships. Um, but I think that the the plan falls through with the HIPAA violation and there's no real way to get around that idea that, okay, well, we'll just track the cases. Mm-hmm. You can't. And you can't also track, you can't name anyone and you can't track anything. It's true. And and Iowa has only 68,000, I say only, but, you know, they have 68,000 cases, confirmed cases of COVID and only 1,100 deaths. Again, and I only, I say only, but. Yeah, that's 11, a devastating number. It, it is, <laughs> not, but compared to um, no, I get, LA, it no, is I get in comparison, but less. So it was, I guess, understood like, oh, I, I get why they decided to do a hybrid plan. It made sense. So the results... As of September 5th, these were the results that came out according to WQAD8, which is an ABC uh, affiliate article, um, news outlet of Iowa. This is the results of their hybrid program after they were in school for uh, most of August. So school district leaders across Iowa are already seeing the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic as they welcome back students this week. Uh, And going across to every single district, they all had spikes. Yes. Yeah. Especially the high schools and especially the high schools that were doing sports. So you're saying there's a connection clearly between... The fact that there are still activities happening on campus at any given time, that they're not tracking the numbers carefully, 
they can track the numbers in classrooms, but as soon as they go outside, it becomes impossible. Correct. That, and I want to add, there were hardly any cases, maybe one occasionally, maybe two occasionally, in the elementary school numbers, which leaves me to believe that in elementary school, you have the kids walk in, they go yes. into the classroom, the teacher can... Stand in a line yeah. six feet apart, grab the rope, yes. super simple. You can maybe spread their desks around a little bit, but if anything, they're only with that 20 group of kids and that one or two teachers in the classroom with them, which leaves me to believe that the main problem with trying to maintain a hybrid program comes with the shifting of the kids from classroom to classroom in addition to the extracurricular activities So extracurricular classroom to classroom, something we got to keep track of. So did any school plans kind of take care of this is the real question. Like, did they, did they solve this issue? Uh, well, so this was updated uh, the 5th, so this was only a couple days ago. So oh, I meant like in other states and stuff. Like, oh. can we look... Can we look at other states that, that solve? Okay, because the HIPAA violation and then the locating to different classrooms and extracurricular activities ended up backfiring on Iowa a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. So were there other states that kind of had this going for them? Because, we're again, we're trying to find the best possible strategy for going back to school, right? So far, these two we've looked at had gaps. So is there anyone that filled in these gaps? So let's talk about Washington. Washington State has a phased reopening plan. So everyone was supposed to follow the guidelines that the state provided in opening in what looked like three or four phases. Okay. Um, similar to like the CDC California new phase tier plan that they have where they have like you're in. It's basically like fire zones. Yeah. It's totally like a fire zone where you have like, like your, there might be fire in your area. Yeah. <laughs> All the way down to, we've never heard of fire. Yes. And so you were, you know, there's kind of expectations that I think it's even the same the color code, isn't it? It is. Yeah. It's like red. It's like dark yellow. red, regular red. <laughs> And so uh, with Washington State plan, they had like uh, expectations and, and, and protocol and recommendations that people needed to follow within each um, phase. So phase one, which would essentially be like, don't go anywhere. Everyone stay put to phase two, which is slowly uh, but surely getting rid of those uh, safety precautions and, and, and implementations. And then to the eventual phase four, which was like everything is more or less back to normal. Uh, so Washington State has that phase plan, plus they have a phase plan for their schools. Um, they're very similar. They're a little different. But just so you understand the numbers, Washington has 78,000 cases with 1,900 deaths. So it's a little bit more than Iowa. So, I mean, you, you take that with, you know, Iowa's at least making a hybrid plan, whereas Washington's making a fully um in-person phase plan i mean mm -hmm. so we're going to see the safety precautions that's expected of them um so the school reopening plans for washington state uh, lay out the data and very detailed expectations with each phase but the they use words like recommends strongly recommends mm. and consider when suggesting schools reopen. So when they reopened on... So they basically left it up to school sites how stringent they were with keeping with their strategies. It, yes. So okay. a teacher in Washington actually started tracking the cases of the kids who went back. So they started August 7th. And in 10 days, this teacher's spreadsheet had gone from 30 entries to more than 700 entries as she was tracking students and staffs and, uh, and not just Washington, but then she expanded to like 
the other counties and within her state, with the other states around her to see that when the schools uh, started to reopen, the cases did um, go up. And so... Well, I think that at this point, any reopen plan when there isn't a successful vaccine is going to result in some small level of spikes. It's whether or not the spike in cases is difficult or significant, right? Correct. And I want to kind of go over their plan because it's a really detailed plan of um, their going back uh, in Washington. The only problem that they were doing was they were saying <clears throat> things like recommends and and which means well i'm already you seeing you have it open in front of me here mm -hmm. i'm already seeing words like you know considerations mm -hmm. you know options you know that that's that already kind of puts it in the context of we're leaving this up to you to make your decision of how you how seriously you want to take this and how you want to treat it so and that's different yes i want to give you a, an idea i'll just kind of go over the quick quickly the high numbers <clears throat> plan so if there's uh 75 or more cases um, for 14 days, uh, they would say, uh, these considerations, increasing trend in cases of hospitalization. Oh no, sorry. They would say like, and you also met these requirements. So there's increase of hospitalization. The tests was positive was over 5%. Other health and education risks and benefits to children and their families. If all these things, uh, happened, they are considered in high risk of that phase. So you're in like that phase one. Well, and I'll just means... call, let me just call this out though. This is this is the required language more than likely from a lawyer. <laughs> this is somebody who sat down in legal and said we are required to do this to avoid lawsuits. Mm -hmm. And that is exactly what we're seeing here. That's what this is. Um, the 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 greater than five percent option. You know, any increase in hospitalizations, you need to take these actions. That's very, um, like, reactionary to the point of being, like, that's for legal terminology. That's that's and saying, it's like... it's not precautionary. It's fully reactionary. So if this happens, then you take this step. Yes. As opposed to, what can we do to avoid these things from happening? Yeah, this action plan you're looking at is not keeping any of that information clear so far. No. This is just looking at... What are we going to do in the case that things go bad for us? So at least they have a reactionary plan in place, which is better than the other two states we've seen. Mm -hmm. And I'll, I'll read to you like a little bit of it. So you understand that there were some, it was well thought out. My only problem with it was they kept saying recommends or strongly considers or whatever. So if they, if you're in the higher risk, the education plan was that they strongly recommend distant learning with the option for limited in-person learning in small groups or cohorts of students for the high, uh, the highest need students, such as students with disabilities, students living in homeless, uh, those farthest from education, justice, and younger learners. And with extracurriculars, they strongly recommended canceling or postponing extracurriculars. Well, and we'll, we'll so look that, at. I mean, that's good. It's well, but it's saying, and there's a huge asterisk on that section you just read that says staff must work in school at any COVID-19 activity level if the school follow these steps. Which, you know, sucks for the so teachers. So as, 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 as long as they're following these steps, then school continues. So it's basically saying they've protected themselves legally to the point where they can't be prosecuted for anything while, re while remaining schools open. So they've satisfied the parents. They've satisfied the students, the one thing they haven't satisfied is the teachers. I'd also be curious where, you know, okay, so they did handle the situation of no more extracurriculars as soon as cases hit a certain level. 
which mm-hmm. is exactly the issue that you had with Iowa's plan, correct? Mm-hmm. Washington took care of it. So that's an interesting way to approach it. I mean, they're basically they've taken care of everything. It just also seems risky, given that you follow that up with, then the entries went to 700. <laughs> yes. So again, I, I'm thinking the... The wording was great until they added recommend, strongly recommends, consider, or considered, uh, considering whatever. Well, we have to talk about that. You can't force anyone to do anything right now. It's like, that's the buzzword is that you can't make anyone do anything. Not in, not in any kind of terms where they'll be, they'll actually be appreciated because that's not, so far, that's not really the American ideology in facing this thing. Mm -hmm. The American ideology is to say, we're going to be brave and handle it. Mm Mm-hmm. And if the answer is just to be brave, then these school districts would have succeeded. Mm-hmm. And where we're seeing failure, we need to be seeing success. So what, what do we need to do in order to do that? Well, uh, just for reference, one more. We'll just go over quickly the L.A. Uh, remote learning. So L.A. Uh, we're not in person at all. No, we're yeah. uh, totally online. Uh, but just so everyone is aware that our although our increasing percentage has gone down so the the, the percentage of the increase of per day has gone down from what was about two percent to about half a percent give or, give or take at the moment um we're still seeing an increase in uh cases in la county um but it has been declining since we've opened it's yeah. just the the in the decline has only been in the increased cases if that makes sense so we haven't we're still going up We've almost hit, like, um, what's the word? Where we, like, we almost hit, like... A plateau. A plateau, yeah. Um, of and cases. Of cases. But we're still slightly increasing, but the increase has gone down. So that's with remote learning. So the now you've seen the fully in-person, the, the, the hybrid and the phase plan versus the remote plan. And we see that every single plan does have an increase of numbers in some way, shape, or form. Well, and there haven't been any cases involving LA schools online. Like, that's just a fact, because no yeah, one's there. Well, cause, yeah, there so have can't been no, no, any There's cases been no cases of anyone on campuses getting sick. There's no cases of anybody, you know, interacting, because all the interaction is at zero. But mm-hmm. this does not satisfy the going back to school that so many parents are calling for. Mm-hmm. It's the fact that everybody wants us back in classrooms. So we have to figure out how to do that in a way that's safe, right? Yeah. So let's talk about, based on these different structures that we've seen, let's come up with an action plan. So what do we, what do you think we need to do to get back into classroom? And then I want to propose a a question that we'll probably answer a little later. Uh, What do you think the future of the in-classroom learning looks like now that we've done online? So I'm going to save that ponder that listeners as we go over uh, <laughs> aka also matt uh, as we go over uh what a good action plan might look like okay so well action plans need to start off first of all with unfortunately the conversation of what's the acceptable case spike mm-hmm. um, if we don't have a vaccine we're going to be seeing a spike so we have to limit the numbers that's the main goal right so in limiting yes. numbers there needs to be some specific criteria in place for allowing anybody on campus at all Mm -hmm. right um and being able to meet those requirements is fairly extreme Mm -hmm. everybody i think in my mind if you're coming onto a school campus you got to wear a mask Mm -hmm. which is now unfortunately kind of a kind of a somewhat 
political reaction. Yeah, but, but I, I think, think it like... has to happen. It has to be a requirement for students on campus, mostly because there's no way to know where the student's been. That, and I don't think it should be that big of a deal because we have we implement uniforms, especially in the middle schools. Yes. So you could say it's part of the dress code or, or, or part of the uniform code to have a mask. So I, I think, yes, it's a political statement, but it can totally be done, and I think it could totally be done in, like, a legal manner. Of course. I think that getting around, okay, so let's say a student comes on campus with COVID and is able to talk to people. We have the obvious HIPAA violation that creates an issue for us, Mm -hmm. as in you can't inform anybody where that person's been. You can't let any students that are connected to that person know about it. You theoretically, even if the family knows, you can't let other families know that they need to be careful and need to watch what's happening and watch for this case spike to happen. And we've seen this before. If there's a a lice outbreak or if there's um, a chickenpox outbreak, they send home letters saying someone may have the lice or the chickenpox and so you may have been exposed so we already see that that's the workaround that we get. So I'm imagining notices would go home left and right saying a student may have had the COVID. So you may need to quarantine. Yeah. And I mean, obviously calling for any kind of HIPAA exemption exemption mm-hmm. right now is not doable. So I think that the plan that is in place is going to deal with three fronts. Okay. This is kind of where it's going to be. One is going to be the home front. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's going to have to be communication to families about exactly what is going to be the requirement and expectations for the student when they come on campus Mm -hmm. and communicating the expectations clearly to parents and then communicating the expectations of while you're at home, there's some level of responsibility to your peers at school that you're not going to go, you know, to Mm -hmm. a 500 person pool party. You know, that's going to be something that we have to talk about, you know, that this can't be the kind of that has to be the mentality. And while that might not be fair, there has to be communication on the home front. That's the mm-hmm. first level of it. Because if everybody at home is being safe when they come to campus, it's going to be safe. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, yeah. But that has, to be, that has to be the first level of communication. And that's going to have to start, that might be the hardest in my level. mind, two weeks before we even think of going back. Yeah. You have to start communicating that two weeks before we go back. So that parents have two weeks of information going in. Now, in my mind, here's the first step. The first step is to start off with intervention. Because if we're already on an online plan right now, you have to move to intervention steps first. Mm -hmm. So one day of the week Mm -hmm. would be for intervention classes on campus only for two types of students. What what do you mean by intervention? Intervention would mean that, one, the student has not appeared in an online class yet. Mm. If that student has not showed up because online is not working for them and they're that type of student, or maybe they're having to take care of siblings, they're having to take Mm, care of parents, They're that student that can't, they can come on campus for intervention classes once a week, which means that we're limiting probably the campus to about three to 4%. If the, if the population numbers are going on right now, we'll have about three to 4% of students on campus receiving intervention help. So you're saying your first phase of an action plan would be, uh, if a kid is not showing up at all or can't do online work, then the teachers come in on campus and the kids come in who are in this intervention status. Yes. Uh, do they go between teachers or they is would, there like a bell schedule? It would, it would theoretically be this. It would be that they would need to attend 
the classes in which they're required to be an intervention. So if they're only failing English, well, what about if a kid's failing? Does that also consider? If a kid is failing okay. or, yeah, and that was the second student. So those are the two students that meet the criteria. Oh, okay. One is for, is for the kid uh, who's not showing attendance. Yeah. One is for grades. So I'm only, fa- I'm a student, I'm only failing English and history class. So I only go to my English and history yes. teacher. Okay. Yeah. And if the student is doing well at home, and they're not failing their classes, and they're showing up to all their Zoom meetings and everything, and there's no issues, that student uh, is not required on campus yet. And I'd say two weeks again. So right now we're four weeks into an action plan, right? Two weeks, the parents have been informed on the home front. Of, then their, two of weeks the intervention plan. Of our action plan to go back to campus. Oh, just the full, okay, and then, okay. And so, then so two, far we have four weeks. Okay, so we have the prep, then the actual two days of intervention yes. that have occurred in those two weeks. Yes. Okay, I'm following, I'm following. After that point, we start a registry, okay? And students uh, can register. I love register. a good wedding registry. Exactly. Oh, no. <laughs> students can register for the next two weeks to get on campus. Okay. As in they have to register for in-person classes during why that would time. I, why is a, why first would come, I first as serve. a student do that? There's a whole bunch of different reasons, and it might not be the student is the number one issue. Right. It mm. could also be that parents want their students on campus because they can't have them at home or whatever. Okay. You know, they got to get back to a regular work schedule. They can't keep taking three hour lunches to come home and help their student with stuff mm. or whatever it is. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. that's six weeks in with no cases. There would have to be no cases during this time. If at any point there's a case on campus, mm-hmm. you got to reset, go back to ground zero. So wait, with the registering, so you know, oh, this... so there. Okay, so yeah, let me get into that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. It would basically be this. It would be that teachers would have, I would say, two days on campus where the teacher's going to spend the day on campus, and there would be blocks of classes that the student could sign up for, similar to college. This is the high school setting, mm-hmm. and I'll go into mil- what I think for middle school and elementary in a second. You can let me know what you think. Okay. The high school setting would be that. The teachers just have days where they're registered to be on campus with limited class numbers, which means students have to particularly sign up for on-campus classes during oh, those that two first days. first come, first serve. First come, first serve. That's what it is because we can't. As far as I've seen, no school district can do 15. Not 15 students in a classroom. There's not enough teachers. Yeah, it's like 10. They can't do it. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Well, if you do 15, then you're limiting the class to half. Oh, you, oh, you should okay. have space. There should be plenty of space, and you should be good to go. Oh, like 15 right? can most likely fit yeah. in the classroom? And then in order to do that, the students need to register ahead of time, and, and it will be clarified that that's only counting for the next two weeks. So okay. again, six weeks in. Now, for middle school, this gets a little trickier because mm-hmm. students aren't going to be able to register for those specific classes also because of that. But I think the rotating teachers option... So you do have a registry for students signing up for in-person classes. Limited numbers again. So the students can sign up for that registry. The teachers are split in half. Half the teachers off campus, half the teachers on campus. The teachers on campus rotate through the classrooms. The students remain in the classroom the whole time. Mm. So it ends up that the student is registering for all their classes on in person. Mm-hmm. And the teachers are just rotating through a block schedule. Well, that kind of goes back to the idea that elementary school cases don't seem to show a spike. With my theory being that because they're all in one classroom and not moving between six or seven. Yeah. So, yeah, I I can see that being uh, a a decently successful. 
Well, now elementary that. school ends up being the most difficult one to do yeah. because you have the severe numbers and it's not fair to have certain kids on campus only for elementary school. Mm -hmm. So that's when I think you would want to go with like rotating block for like Iowa. So A days and B days, right? Yeah. Where they had A days, some people could come onto campus B days for the other days. Again, pre-registering two weeks in advance, which means that that student has to have no symptoms for two weeks before they show up on campus. That is a requirement, mm. right? So okay. that that student and it, that that really gets around hard to ask elementary school. Yeah, but it gets around the that. HIPAA violation in that you're then requiring them to stay two weeks clean or whatever it is, two weeks, mm -hmm. right? Which is the exact amount of time that like okay. you need to stay 14 days. Yeah. So that that works perfect for us. Mm -hmm. So on open registry, that's when it happens. Mm. Now the logistics of registering is not necessarily going to be easy to do because. We're clearly not equipped for it, yeah. but it can work for us, right? It can be something we do. Mm -hmm. So then we're six weeks into the plan now, right? Mm -hmm. And then now we do eight weeks wherein somebody, like everybody starts transitioning back to campus. So now we have full classes after eight weeks. Are they all on campus at the same time or is there some Yes, because we've had two months of no cases and all the students are clean. Yeah, for now. For now. Okay. And then at any point, if a, if a case comes up on campus, you go back on the, on the previous action plan. You re-register students, get your parents back involved again. Oh, so you just take, you only backtrack one, yeah. one step. And back. the only reason I say it this way is because, like, if you're heading back, it's a lot simpler to ask adults. Which is why everybody keeps, uh, I keep hearing this. Mm -hmm. There's comparisons to other job markets. Right. And everyone keeps saying, oh, well, my job had me go into work and my job had me do this and we're fine. Mm -hmm. You can't do that with kids. Yeah. And so to get around that, you have to talk to the parents individually and you have to get the parents involved with the actual registration of it. If the parents want their kids back on campus, make them register for it. Mm -hmm. And then once that registration happens, they have two weeks of clean whatever that they're able to like go asymptomatic the whole time. Well, I, I have my concerns. I, th I like the plan, but I no, do have my me, concerns. No, throw me your concerns. I think uh, that's this a whole very conversation. desperate parent who desperately needs their kid to go back because they cannot work, because they, they're taking care of their kid, might claim that the kid is fine and, and the kid might not be fine. So they just risk everyone's... Well, and theoretically, if that kid really needs to come back to campus, they would have already been there for four weeks. Doing the intervention. Doing the intervention. We start off with the kids that are desperate. That's the issue. That's the concern. No, because we're starting off with the kids who aren't showing up and the kids who are failing. Well, yeah. In theory, the kids that aren't showing up are the ones that are struggling to actually get their stuff done at home and the parents need them out. Mm, I mean, I don't know, that makes sense. I think that, yeah, when a... Okay, because you're you're weeding out any potential. Well, look, and it would it would be up that. to counselors as well. We would go with, off of what if counselors are sitting there saying this parent struggling with this kid, that counselor could put that kid in the intervention classes, and it would be fine. I mean, okay, like yeah. we would know. We love our counselors. Yeah, we would know about it. Mm -hmm. there, they would because there is communication. There's communication constantly happening, so we would know. We'd be aware of it. Mm -hmm. Now I understand it's a struggle to do all this. Yeah. But it's got to happen in, in, in a method that's actually going to be clear to the parents and that's going to be clear to everybody else. I think my only other concern is the fully going back by like, your, by like two months in. 
Was it, right? That was like the eight weeks. Two months. Yeah, it would be about eight um, weeks before we, we see everybody back I'm just on so, campus. W- once everyone's on campus, I think even if you're only going back one step, that's so much work for parents, teachers, and students. I think it's just, it's, you know, it's such a risk. I'm saying, and not just I understand the, health, the risk, but, the but I'm also saying if everybody wants to go back and do it the right way, this avoids all the issues in my mind. It's a good plan. I think, you know, I'd love to see it actually happen in place. So anyone, anyone listening who has that kind of power. <laughs> Look, and, and as far as implementation goes, I'm only trying to go off of the idea that, you know, of, of satisfying as many parties as possible. And of course, people will be upset with the idea mm-hmm. of all having to wear masks on campus. Of course, people will be upset with the idea of, you know, two weeks without any kind of like, you know, symptoms or whatever. But this is what's proven to work. Mm-hmm. It's what's proven will get you back and not force you to reclose your campus. Mm-hmm. That's what everyone wants to avoid is you going back and then having to cut back again and close again, mm-hmm. which is a disaster for teachers. This is the Absolutely. worst possible thing we could do is go back and then go back to online when you already have all your plans and all your stuff done. It's a nightmare. It is. So uh, a couple things before we close out here. Uh, we talked about our possible action plan, uh, you know, patent pending, invest now. Just kidding. All right, so let's talk about the future of in-class learning now, and let's talk about some positives. We'll do it real quick. So okay. <laughs> uh, positives are, I think that everybody wants a vaccine now. I think we want it bad. Mm -hmm. Um, And we've already wanted it. Everybody's wanted it. I think with not being able to have schools come back was big. Um, I think that as far as going back, I don't see that there's any point in time where, okay, first of all, I do think there's going to be huge changes in the type of registration that are happening for schools. So as in public school choice, Mm -hmm. you normally have to go to the school in your district. Or in your area within your print. Parameters. If we're remaining online partially, that starts to kind of go out the window. Because mm-hmm. let's say you only have to commute in with your student a couple times a week to a school and the rest can be done online. In mm-hmm. theory, all of a sudden that goes out the window. I think, yeah, for the future of education, it, now that creativity that teachers can have, that they, they always want to do something really creative and, and interesting that looks really nice. Now I think there's going to be more support for that because if you're going to have uh, this idea that students can now maybe choose online platforms for schools with, out of their area, then you can say, look what we do at our school. Look at the, You're going to really spark some creativity from your teachers and a lot of because a lot of teachers come into the teaching profession with degrees that aren't just like math, history, science, uh, you know, English. It, it, there's so much more. The digital media, some come from like theater backgrounds or newscaster back, like journalism, all these things, all these creative outlet outlets that they could now push and actually utilize. So I think there's going to be a spark in creativity. And I also think that now that every kid in uh, pretty much every kid in America almost is being given some type of computer or device. Mm-hmm. I know not every kid, but a lot of them, that's going to change the in-class education too because you're going to have a lot of resources with these kids who now have computers who maybe didn't have it before. Yes. Um, so We'll see if that maintains. I mean, yeah. we'll see if it maintains with that. That's the, my main concern is that 
districts would try to would try to push back and get us to go exactly back the way we have been before, not learning from any of this, that would be a huge bummer for me because obviously we want to see the best possible solution moving forward. And there has been some really good stuff coming out of online education. Mm-hmm. So uh, I want to end with one more thing before we do our first. Uh, oh yeah, teacher let's do a uh, teacher of the week. Uh, before we do the teacher of the week, real quick, uh, I just want everyone out there to know that I've been speaking with my, you know, some administrators uh, that I know, and they them popping in and out of classrooms, and I and based on my own teaching and Matt's own teaching, we have to say that. There has been some creativity and great learning going on. Uh, teachers are giving resources to kids in some way, shape, or form. They're coming up with really creative solutions. Uh, they're even going through curriculum way quicker because that distraction level of being in person is gone now. Um, so I, ju- I just feel like kids are learning. They really, really are. And so I'm really happy, and I want to end with that. Bef- uh, if as a we- student wants to learn, they will learn. And the students who want to learn are learning. Yeah. Uh, so let's go into um, a shout out from. Uh, okay, teacher of the week. <laughs> I'm gonna keep yelling at everyone. <laughs> okay, <laughs> all right. Before we have to, we have a special request from uh, at BVB on Instagram who wants to shout out her favorite teacher from sixth grade, Mrs. Bailey. That woman changed my life by constantly encouraging me as a student and a young woman. Okay, so teacher of the week this week. Um, I really want to shout out. Uh, there were there's a group of about four to five teachers who created a whole bunch of lessons for LAUSD's. Uh, not really intervention, I guess would be the advisory. word, but advisory classes that are all based around self-betterment and self-improvement, and, yeah, which so by far emotional. can be the worst lessons to do mm. with students if they're cheesy and terrible and kids normally you know, roll their eyes and frown at them. These are amazing lessons mm-hmm. and they have done an incredible job with them. So I just wanted to shout out the LAUSD teachers who have put that together for us. You guys did an amazing job. Thank and, you. Yeah, thank you. And thank you for being our first teachers of the week for our, the, for the, those who can't do podcasts. Exactly. Uh, I want to give a quick shout out to those who downloaded our podcast in California, Ohio, Texas, Florida. We see you guys. Thanks a lot. I had one person in Alaska. You guys are awesome. We appreciate you. Uh, listeners, give us a shout out on social media. Um, if you want to nominate a teacher or educator who went above and beyond this week, please follow us on Twitter at TWCD underscore podcast. Instagram at those who can't do podcast. Um, Facebook at those who can't do podcast. And email us at those who can't do podcast at gmail.com to nominate an extraordinary teacher or educator. Uh, be sure to tell us their name, where they're from, and what they did this week that went above and beyond. All right. So. That's the end of the episode. Um, we'll be uh, going Mondays at 8 a.m. from here on out. Um, tune in next Monday at 8 a.m. for another episode. We're going to be talking about the five-year teacher burnout. Um, what is it and why are teachers leaving the teaching field uh, in droves as soon as they start? <laughs> um, we got to talk about it, guys. So we are Gina and Matt. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next week.